Have a seat. Thanks for being here. You know, a lot of people like to start the new year with some kind of word or phrase to frame the year. And I've done that before, and it's been a tremendous blessing. This year, I'm not coming to us with a specific word or a phrase. Because I don't know about you, but I always come up with something good that seems so relevant for the first few weeks of January. And sometime by February, I've forgotten even what that frame was and why it was so important. And, um, and so this is not a, a theme for the year, but I do have a prayer for us. I have a prayer for myself that 2017 will be a year of emptiness for us. And I know that sounds, sounds antithetical to everything that the new year is about, but I hope to prove to you from the scripture why that's a really good thing. In November of 1863, Abraham Lincoln traveled 80 miles from the White House to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania to deliver the most famous speech ever delivered. The Gettysburg Address is only two minutes long, just to show what a great orator he was, that he could provide a legendary message in such a short time. I am not that good of an orator today, and so our message is going to take quite a bit longer than two minutes. Um, But he was remembering the Union soldiers that died there at the Battle of Gettysburg in those three days. The total count of death was 46,000. And in the Gettysburg Address, he uses this phrase, which will maybe may be familiar to you. Uh, he says that they poured out their last full measure of devotion. The Apostle Paul expressed a real similar sentiment in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'd love for you to turn there if you have your Bible. Second Timothy is written by Paul on death row under the reign and terror of the Roman emperor Nero. Shortly after he writes this letter, he will be beheaded in Rome. And he's writing to Timothy, who he called his true son in the faith. In Philippians, he says that he has no one like Timothy. Paul was not married. He didn't have biological children, but he would have said that he definitely had a son. And Timothy was that son. And this is a letter, his last letter that we know of that he wrote to Timothy. And this is what he says in verse six. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He says in verse six, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, the idea of a drink offering comes from the first half of the scripture, the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul is reaching back into the history of Israel. Remember that God did an amazing thing for the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt and he rescued them through Moses, through signs and wonders and delivered them not to the promised land immediately, but out into the wilderness, which was bad news. The good news was that he made them an even more unbelievable promise 
that he would live among them. This holy, invisible God who the scripture says, if we laid eyes on him, we would lose our life in an instant. Said, I'm gonna dwell among you. Of course, God is everywhere, but he made among that people, his ground zero, his earthly address. And they built him a tent as he instructed, a tabernacle. And he would place his visible presence there, sometimes in fire and sometimes in a cloud of glory. And he gave them some specific types of worship to do. If you're gonna be my people and I'm gonna live among you, here are the requirements. And one of the requirements was that they had to make offerings. And so they would sacrifice these animals because the bloodshed of the animals would cover over their sins, all of it pointing to Jesus's shed blood, which would be a sacrifice once for all, for all of humanity. And so they would sacrifice this animal and the drink offering would be, Uh, something that they would pour on to the animal sacrifice. This is a definition of that drink offering. A drink offering consisted of wine poured around the altar and joined with the meat offering. It was presented daily on the Sabbath and on feast days. So once a day on the Sabbath day and on special religious holidays, they would pour out this drink offering onto the animal sacrifice. And Paul reaches back using that metaphor to describe his own life as being poured out. I don't know how many of you are still visiting Starbucks. Uh, I know it's not super cool or trendy anymore, but what I like about Starbucks is the drink is always the same. They don't put a picture of a flower in the coffee, but it is always the same. And if you've heard people order at Starbucks, it's always complicated. Like that's a badge of honor, isn't it? Like if you just say, I want a cup of coffee, you get no respect in the Starbucks line. But if you say, I want this with a half shot of this, with a double shot of this, twisted and stirred, and you, then, then you get a lot of credibility. Especially on a morning like this, a cup of hot coffee is amazing. It's cold. This is as cold as it's ever going to get in Houston. And we get to wear our coats once a year, and it's a beautiful thing, and get a hot cup of coffee. So imagine somebody standing in line, getting their drink, just perfectly on a cold winter's day and then just pouring it out onto the ground. We would think, what a total waste. So when we hear the word drink offering and being poured out, because we don't really connect with that Old Testament metaphor, we think about that as some kind of New Year's commitment that my life would be poured out in the same way that the Apostle Paul's was poured out. Seems like a waste. It seems over and against anything that the new year is about. The new year is about more coming into my life. Abundance filling up my life. In fact, that's how most of our prayers have been shaped. Even in the last six days is God, give me this. God, give me that. I really need this. More, 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 more. But Paul says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. What most of us are willing to do is not the full measure of devotion like the Apostle Paul, but drops of devotion. The idea of just pouring out all of my cup, well, I might need some of it later. Who knows what July is gonna have in store? Who knows what even next fall will be like? But I'm willing to give drops of devotion. I'll read my Bible some. I'll come to church most of the time. 
I'll serve and be generous a little, a drop of devotion. But we see in Paul the full measure. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And he says in verse seven, I have fought the good fight. There is a bad fight in this world. A few examples of some bad fights you could fight in 2017. First, you could fight against God in 2017. Some of us have a, just a rebellious nature. All of us have a rebellious nature. Some of us have a really rebellious nature. Uh, you know, some of us are the kind of people, when somebody says, I really want you to go to the right, you're like, well, I really want to go to the left. I had not even thought about the left before. I didn't care about the left until you said I should go to the right. And now I'm in love with the left. Somebody says, well, you should do this. And you're like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do the opposite of this. Your boss says, I really want you to work on this project. This is what you want to, I want you to focus on. And you think, well, yeah, but I've really been praying about it right now in this millisecond. And I think that I should work on this other project. Some of us just have that. They say red and we have to say blue. They say blue and now we change our mind to red. We just have that rebelliousness in us and Sometimes it's, you know, against our spouse or against our boss or a friend. And sometimes it carries over into our relationship with God. That just because he said it, something in us wants to test it. Something in us wants to go, I don't know if that's true. And so we could find ourselves in a bad fight this year, fighting against God himself. Or we could take up a bad fight of of fighting against his will. I love what. The Old Testament says about the Israelites, because I think it's so accurate to my life, it calls them stiff-necked. If you don't know what stiff-necked means, slip out of the service and go over to where the babies are here at Bayou City and just watch them for a while. Our daughter Willa is one year old and she can be stiff-necked when we're trying to put a shirt or a dress on her. Sometimes maybe she just doesn't like that outfit and so she doesn't wanna get dressed and so she tightens her neck and moves it around so that you cannot put that shirt on her. God wants to dress a lot of us in his will did in 2016, but we were stiff-necked and said, I don't wanna wear that. That's not how I wanna dress. I had other ideas and we've been moving and maneuvering, resisting. But resisting God's will is a losing fight. First, because there's nothing stronger than his will. And if he wants, he will do it. But we also lose by winning. You may have won against God in 2016 by resisting what he wants you to do, but you lost. Anytime we reject his will, we may feel like we've won the battle, but we've lost every day that we resist. Another bad fight in 2017 will be against people. I'm gonna go out on a limb say in 2017, you're gonna be mad at somebody. It's a real prophetic statement. So you test it, come back to me. You're like going to be mad at somebody. I'm mad at somebody right now. And we're gonna be very tempted to make some person our enemy. And we're gonna think they deserve it. And we're gonna think it's all their fault. We're not gonna one time consider that it was maybe our fault or we had some share in it. But what the scripture would teach us, if, if we are making somebody our enemy, that's a bad fight. A good fight is to fight against God's enemies. And the scripture is clear about who God's enemies are. 
sin, death, and Satan. The scripture points out those three, sin, death, and Satan. So if there is someone that you are mad at right now, currently, as we speak, the battle is not against that person made in the image of God. The battle is against sin and death and Satan at work in them. Unless we become judgmental, somebody's gonna be mad at you in 2017. Somebody's going to be frustrated with you. Somebody is going to call you their enemy and it's gonna be your fault. It won't be something you can justify away. You will have said it. You will have done it. You will have hurt them. And so will I. And if they make us their enemy, what they're really fighting against is not us made in the image of God, but sin and death and Satan at work in us. So a good fight is when we're fighting with God against his enemies. And it is a fight. It is a good fight. If you're not willing to fight this year, you won't win. It is a battle. The eternal is never easy. And so if you're looking for something easy, you'll get to the end of 2017 and you won't be left with anything eternal. He says in verse seven, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have a newfound respect for runners. Because yesterday morning I was driving down Memorial Drive and past Memorial Park. It was pretty early and it was about 32 degrees outside and the, the running trail was just filled with people. I mean, they were wearing snowsuits, but they were out there running. When you're around a runner, I think a lot of us uh, have taken up New Year's goals of, of running. Anybody just want to confess that out loud for some accountability? Going to take up exercising in 2017? I got my hand lifted. No. Some of us are like, I'm not willing to commit. I'm just going to hope it's all working. That's fine. That's fine. I like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's good. If God wills, I'll exercise this year. <laughs> it was me and you. I saw you. You raised your hand. I'm with you all the way. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. But they're out there running. And if you ask a runner, why are you doing it? They're going to list a few things. First, they might list guilt. They're running because of guilt, because they should have run more, exercised more in 2016, and they didn't. And they see people running out there with their little belts and their water bottles and their tight shorts. I do not know. I do not know. Help me with this, you runners. I do not understand why the more you run, the less clothes you wear. I do need help with that. So you can tell who the exercisers are because you can practically see their underwear as they're running. But they run because of guilt. I should have done more. I didn't do more. I feel bad. My, my, you know, ah, I just, I didn't, I'm, I'm doing more. So 2017, I'm going to exercise more. Guilt. Some people exercise, want to exercise because of responsibility. You passed 30 and you had that checkup. First time you've been to the doctor in 10 years and they checked your cholesterol, and sure enough, McDonald's has not been good for you. Your cholesterol is a little bit higher than it should, and so you're going to be responsible, and you're going to exercise more. Some people they make these New Year's resolutions because of community. That's why we CrossFit, because of community, because a friend does it. All of your friends do it. You're the only one left out, and you're not posting any pictures on the internet of being in CrossFit, and so you, you got to be a part of it. We're all in this together. Do it for community. 
And we use those same things for our commitment to Christ. When we get to that place and we go, oh man, 2016 was not what I wanted it to be spiritually. I didn't come to church as much as I should. I didn't give as much as I should. I didn't read the Bible as much as I should. I sure didn't pray as much as I should. I just didn't do fill in the blank as much as I should. I feel guilty about it. So that's why I'm here on January 7th or 8th, whatever it is, because of guilt. Some of us are here because it's the responsible thing to do. We have children now. In 2016, we had a baby and we want to raise that baby in church or your mom told you to do it. And this is the right thing. So here you are being responsible. You're going to read the scripture this week. Why? Because it's what you're supposed to do. Some of us are here for the community. Some of the best people on planet Earth. It makes you feel good to be in a family. And so we're here. But the Apostle Paul doesn't use any reason like that for why he was willing to be poured out. Look at what he says was his motivation. Verse eight, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. His motivation was this crown. Now, Bible scholars tell us it's not like a king's crown. It's not a King Arthur type crown, gold with a lot of points around it with a lot of jewels. It was a athletic wreath that they would give to the people who won races, just a flowery wreath. So I think about that and I think about all that the apostle Paul endured because he says here, I'm being poured out as a drink offering while he's on death row, he will lose his head shortly after writing this. But in another place, he lists all that he has had to endure because of his faith and ministry in Christ. And it's a long list. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked, Rick, not once, but more than once. He was set adrift in the sea for a night and a day. A long list in Galatians, he says that he bears on his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, he would have the scars of faithfulness. Oh, I went into Colossae and here's the proof right there. I went into Lystra and they tried to stone me. That's why my face is all dented in right here. And I think about that and I think about how he's gonna lose his life and then I think about a flowery wreath that that's what he's looking forward to. Now he's more godly than I am so maybe that was enough for him but I'm thinking I don't know that that's enough for me. But it wasn't the the crown that was the prize. It was what the crown represented, which was the king's commendation. It was the moment when Jesus would place the crown on his head and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what the apostle Paul was motivated by. Not guilt, not responsibility, not community. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we know that stirs something in us. We know we want that king's commendation. When we go to a funeral of someone who was faithful to the Lord, their family and friends get up and they talk about it. And someone will always mention that parable of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. And it it stirs us. We want that too. I have fought the good fight. 
I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Why? For a crown of righteousness. Revelation chapter three, Jesus gives a message to seven different churches. And this is what he says to one in verse 11. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus says to that church, you're, you're running the race. You're being poured out. You're doing everything that's right. Don't let anyone seize your crown. So I was trying to make a list. What are some things that might try to seize our crown in 2017? The list could be endless, but here are a few things. First, busyness could seize your crown. Busyness is a badge of honor in our culture. We know this because if someone asks, how was your week? You will always say something that makes you sound busy, even if you weren't. Because you get no credibility if they say, hey, how was your week? What'd you do this week? And you'll be like, well, nothing. I kind of laid around all week. It was fantastic. You don't get any credit for that. But we say, oh, we're busy at work. Oh, kids, super busy. Because in our culture, that's what we esteem. We esteem busyness. And because of that, all of us are overloaded with things we don't even care about. We're busy. We make our kids busy about stuff they don't care about, which makes us more busy. And then work is busy, which is a good thing to us because if work is busy, then it means I have job security. Then you add on friends and family, busy, 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 busy. But here's what I want you to do sometime in the next week. I want you to pull out that busy calendar of yours, that weekly agenda to-do list that you have and ask this question. What in all of this busyness and all of these scheduled things will win me the crown? What do I have to do this week that will win me the crown of righteousness? Your schedule is gonna be filled primarily with three things. First, it's gonna be filled with family. It's gonna be filled with work and it's gonna be filled with rest. It's probably a pretty accurate summary of most of our agendas for the week. And there is a way to work that will win you the crown. And there is a way to work that's just work. There is a way to be with your family that will win you the crown. And then there's just hanging out in the living room. There is a way to rest that will win you the crown. And then there is a way to rest, which is the next thing on our list which is just idleness. Some of us need to do less in 2017 than we did in 2016. And some of us need to do more this year than we did last year. You remember Peter, Jesus had said, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. But before that actually happened, Jesus took Peter and James and John, three of his closest disciples, deep into the Garden of Gethsemane. On the night that Jesus was arrested, he would be falsely accused, a sham of a trial, eventually sentenced to death and crucified. But 12 hours before that, or less than 12 hours before that, Peter was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said to Peter and the other two, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And you remember what Peter and the other two guys do? They fall asleep. 
So Jesus is, is over there wrestling with the sin of humanity that's falling on his shoulder, your sin and my sin that he's going to atone for. And he's sweating drops of blood. God is sending an angel down to minister to him. And what's Peter over there doing? Peter is sleeping. And I'm not sure, but it may be possible that what Jesus is saying is, listen, you're going to be tempted to deny me three times. If you would just stay alert and pray, you were going to be faithful. But Peter fell asleep and he did deny Jesus three times. Some of us are falling into temptation because we are not busy enough. We have too much free time in our hands. We are too idle. So you work hard and then you come home and you do nothing. And in that nothingness lies all of your unfaithfulness, lies all of your temptation. And idleness might steal our crown this year. Carelessness could steal your crown. In Ephesians, the apostle Paul says, don't give the the enemy a foothold in your life. And then he gives a real specific way that the enemy could get a foothold by letting the sun go down on our anger by staying angry too long. It's an open door for Satan. You know what a foothold is? A foothold, if you're a mountain climber, which is you know, super relevant here in Houston, um, there is a big pile of dirt over off 610 by Reliance Stadium. It's uh, pretty high. We can call that a mountain. So maybe you jaunt over there later this afternoon or you go to a rock climbing place Whatever it is, you know, a foothold is a place that you put your foot so that you can put your weight on it and reach up to grab onto something else. And that's what Satan is looking for. Satan is, is looking for just a, a foothold, a, a, a tiny place that he can put his weight on to grab more of your life, to reach for more of your life. Just a foothold. It's going to be something small. So those of you who are married, Satan would like to destroy your marriage would like to embarrass you, would like to humiliate you, would like to ruin your testimony. He would like to do all of that. But I'm guessing that this year, if he wants to ruin your marriage, uh, he's not going to send an adulterer or adulteress to come and knock on your front door and say, uh, I would like to take down your marriage. Would you be interested in having an affair with me? That's not how he's gonna do it. He's just gonna look for a foothold, just something small that he can put his weight on. Like every marriage is hard, and so maybe you go to work tomorrow and you complain about your spouse to someone of the opposite sex in the office. In the light of day, just a, whoops, came out of my mouth, probably not the appropriate place, just something small. But for the enemy, it's a place for him to put his weight so he can reach up and grab something else. So he can reach up and grab something else and something else and something else. Carelessness will seize our crown. Some of the things that we watch on television, they're just careless. Not that big of a deal. But he's just looking for any opening to place his weight to bring you down. Be careful this year. Forgetfulness will also seize our crown. Forgetfulness, I think, was one of the primary sins of God's people in the Old Testament. He did signs and wonders for them. And immediately they would forget and start to complain. And he would do more signs and wonders. And immediately they would forget 
and start to complain. A lot of us are saying to God right now, we're trying to make a deal. God, if you would just do this miracle for me, I would never, never doubt you ever again. I would give you all of my devotion. I would do whatever it is you asked me to do for the rest of my life. If you would just give me this, if you would answer this prayer, the truth is you won't. You won't because we're forgetful people. And our lack of memory is going to cause a lack of faithfulness in 2017. It may steal our crown. And he says in verse eight, good news to all of us. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul says that crown of righteousness, that reward, the king's commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not just for him, but it's to all who would love Jesus appearing. You know, that's one of the weirder things about you. I'm sure you're a pretty quirky person. Amanda would say that she's married to one of the most unusual people on planet Earth. I have some very specific habits that are super annoying. Uh, So you're weird already. But I think the weirdest thing about you is that you say one of the most important things about you is that you believe in somebody who was here, is no longer here, but you believe will come back again. That's pretty odd. You're giving your life, you're singing songs to someone who was here, is not currently here, but you believe will one day come back in a very specific way in the clouds, land in a specific spot outside of Jerusalem, and the whole world will turn its attention to him. That's pretty weird about you. And Paul says, if we want to win the crown, we're going to be the kind of people who cannot wait for that moment. Not just that we believe that, but we love it. Can't wait for it. Asked for it today. Who loved his appearing. I was trying to think about an appearing that I loved in this world that we live in, I think the best one I could come up with is uh, my wedding day. So Amanda and I dated for about two years uh, to the day that we got married. And we never really lived in the same city. We were in Houston together for a couple of summers, but then she went back to school and I went to school. So we didn't have kind of that traditional see one another every day kind of relationship. And so we were incredibly excited about uh, getting married and Uh, we wanted to do it traditional style where we didn't see one another on the day of the wedding. I know the thing now is to do the first peek or the first look, that, that thing. And that's, that's, that's a cool thing. And that's more power to you if you did that way. I mean, I think you got it wrong, but that's fine. Uh, I wanted it to be traditional because I wanted the doors to fly open and the organist to go, bam, 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 bam. Because I like soundtracks to my life. That's why I finish all my sermons with the, keyboard guy he's not here today so this sermon's about over you just didn't know it Um, so I wanted a soundtrack you know in the first peak the violinist doesn't go out there and go "Ah," as you meet in like some random hallway in some church. So I'm a traditional kind of guy. And so was Amanda. And so we didn't see one another. We said goodbye at the rehearsal dinner the night before. And, and then 
you show up to the church and if, if you're not seeing one another there at the church until the big moment, the, the thing you're terrified about as a groom is that she didn't show up at the church. So I was nervous. It's like, did she come to her senses and decide that this was a terrible idea? So I got word, no, she's in the building. It's like, whew, good. And then they're taking pictures with the groom's family and the groomsmen and doing all that. And meanwhile, she's in a different part of the church taking pictures with her family and the bridesmaids. And they're carefully moving you around the church so that you don't bump into one another. And then the wedding starts and here comes the husband and the the minister and here comes the groomsmen and the bridesmaid coming down together and the church that we got married in was a two-story scenario and and so up in the balcony the doors fly open and the organist bam 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 and it was and is still one of the greatest moments of my life and i loved her appearing and if you read the scripture That's what all the apostles are feeling. Paul, Peter, James, John, that's that's what they want. They talk about it all the time. He's returning. It's soon. It's near. They were anticipating it. And Paul goes as far to say, this is the difference between those who win the crown and don't. Because he says there's a condition there. It's to those who love his appearing. So you, I don't care, and, and Paul wouldn't care today, uh, what you say. Yeah, I follow Jesus. Anybody can say, I follow Jesus. I think the real mark, according to the word of God, is if you are truly in the family, if you are going to win the crown, is do you look forward to that moment? And if you don't, something is off. You have forgotten or you've been so busy or so idle or so careless. Because he says, this is it. This is the defining mark. Those who love his appearing. I love what John uh, says about it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John says, listen, he's gonna be so something that the very sight of him will change you forever, just like that. Earlier this week, I was in a room of about 60 people and Carrie Underwood was in the room. Now, I've never met Carrie Uh, We're not personal friends, but she is one of the biggest stars on planet earth right now. And I didn't even know that she was in the room. Uh, You would know if Jesus was in the room because you would be different just like that. All that sin that you fight against, it's gone just like that as soon as you see him. That war inside of you and I, I I don't do the things that I know I should do and the things I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing that and I hate that about my, all that, when you see him, gone. All that pain that you have stored up, stored up, stored up, stored up, stored up, that's now turned into bitterness, all, all of that, as soon as you see him, that's gone. That's gone. 
John says, we'll become like him when we see him. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, because it says about these things that we can't see now, um, we see them as in a mirror dimly. Which is crazy to think about, because I think about all of the grace that I have tasted and seen from Christ. Because I know me, and it's not a pretty picture. Like the real me is not something to brag about, really. I know me, I know all I've done, I know my strengths, and I'm very well acquainted with my weaknesses, but yet Christ still accepts me and you. He welcomes us into his family. He says, hey, forgiven, you're forgiven. And to put my money where my mouth is, uh, come close. So not be forgiven from far away, but come close, be a part of this. I love you and I think of you in that way. And so I think about all the grace I've received from Christ, but 1 Corinthians tells us that 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 grace that we've experienced, that's like looking in a mirror, but the light is bad. So we can see Jesus in that way, but it's not even directly at him. It's in a mirror in bad lighting. All of the compassion that we read about Jesus and have experienced ourselves through other people, we look at that compassion, we're blown away by it, but we're looking at it in a mirror. So it's a reflection in bad light. All the righteousness we read about him and see and experience and worship, just like that awe, like this is really who you are. We're just looking in a mirror, seeing the reflection in bad lighting. But first John tells us there's gonna be a moment when we see him as he is and it will be so powerful, it will transform you in an instant. And Paul says, you wanna win the crown, you love his appearing. This is what it means to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. So I want to finish this morning by just asking you a simple question. Paul says that he was already being poured out as a drink offering. What are you saving your cup for in 2017? Our tendency is just to give drops of devotion. A little bit here, a little bit there, spread it out, make sure I've kept some back from myself. And I just want to ask you, what are you saving your cup for? I've been reading in Second Chronicles this week and chapter nine talks about Solomon and all of his splendor, David's son, king of Israel. And it starts out by talking about a visit from the queen of Sheba who was incredibly powerful at that moment. She had heard these legends about Solomon and she just didn't believe that they were true. So she traveled to Israel just to test him, to give him questions, to quiz him, to see if he really was as great as everyone is saying. And at the beginning of, Second Chronicles 9, she's like, yeah, you are that great. And she was astounded by him. And then the next part of that chapter, it talks about all his gold. Just said he had a ton of gold and then all of these neighboring nations, they would just give him gold and people would come from far away and give him gold. And he just had gold and gold and gold for days. And then the last part of the chapter, he builds this amazing throne out of that gold. And so he's got this giant throne and it's got animal figures next to him and they're coated in gold and just this massive thing. But then at the end of the chapter, he dies. And after he dies, it's this little two sentence paragraph that says King Solomon died and he rested with his fathers and here's where you can go and find more information about him. And if you read the rest of Second Chronicles, all of the kings get that same summary paragraph. So what that speaks to me is 
it doesn't matter what success you have this year or in your life. You could be the king of oil. Literally, you could lord over all of it. Be the wealthiest person in Houston and the world. Lead the biggest company of oil and gas that the world has ever seen. Become a monopoly and the American, uh, America, the United States just let you get away with it because you are so awesome. You could be that person and still people are gonna summarize your life in two sentences. You could be the most unbelievable woman. You could be smart. You could be a servant to your family. You could serve the poor. You could do all these things. You could be an executive. You could do whatever you wanted. Tremendous success. And there'll be a moment, and then forever on, when people summarize and synthesize your life in two sentences. Two. Our question here at the beginning of 2017, what do you want those two sentences to say? Uh, for me, I want to take a cue from the Apostle Paul. And when my family's standing around the hole that they're going to put me in, I want them to say, he left empty. When there was no time left, he had nothing left because he poured it all out in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Jesus says, if you're one of his, he knows your name. He knows who you are and you can recognize his voice. So why don't you take a second, just a simple prayer. Say, Jesus, after all I've heard and experienced this morning, what next? Son of God, you said that if we love you, we'll keep your commands. So by your power, by your power, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.